Ooh. I feel ready and not ready. I mean, I think that's like sort of the... It's good. I feel good. It feels like not ready in a good way. Agnes, I am in a bit of a mood. <sighs> I don't even know what to call this mood. I feel like I'm surging with like disaffection or something like it's that some kind of some kind of acrid energy acrid's good sometimes you know how else are you gonna get the gunk off the stove yeah yeah i feel like i'd really play some distorted electric guitar right now Mm. simple stuff Something hardcore. Yeah. So. Who knows what's going to happen. Today is, I think, the most, is going to be the most uncontrolled off-the-chain episode we've ever done. (laughs) Well, buckle up. Yeah, somehow we're going to transmit whatever these moods are that we're in into talking about Shmini Yatseret slash Simchat Torah. A double, single, mysterious holiday. Which kind of, yeah. I mean, which even I don't. I'm almost like wonder if how many people are even going to listen to this because, like, who really who has any time for Shmini Yatzeret? It's a deep cut, and that's like this. This is the holiday that separates out the, the like the deep fans, you know. Yeah. So if you're here. Come in close. Right. Get under the wing of my leather jacket and um let's get weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean like, yeah, if if I wanna if I wanna be so Jewish that it's like alienating to anyone who's not into it, I'll bring up Shmini at Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to mouth it across the room and like people will Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could clear a room just mentioning <laughs> it. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, the rooms I've um, cleared. I've never actually used okay. that power because I've never, I've never had a relationship with Shmini yet, Sarah. But I feel ready. I feel ready. Let's talk about what it is. So, yeah, what's our first question? Well, no, let's talk about what it is first. We're not getting into the question. Let's try, yeah, we'll we'll do a int- the the short answer is. Nobody knows. Shmini <laughs> <laughs> Atzeret is the eighth day of the seventh-day holiday <laughs> called Sukkot. It really is. It's it. It is directly after Sukkot, which is seven days long, and the name means eighth gathering or something like gathering of the eighth or stopping on the eighth or something. Um, And it doesn't seem to commemorate any event as like um, Sukkot and Passover and Shavuot do. Um, It's not the beginning of a new year. It's not thematically specifically about anything. Um, It's just this like one more holiday at the end of all the high holidays and it is the last of the high holiday season okay and uh 
what you do is you don't work. It's a, it's a holiday on which you don't work, like all, like the other holidays, like many of the other holidays. And, well, okay. Shmini Yatzeret is separated into two days, called Shmini Yatzeret and Simchat Torah. Wait, so you're saying Simchat that the eighth day of the seventh holiday, which is one day, is actually two days? It's actually lasts for two days. Okay. That's right. And Simchat Torah means joy of the Torah. And this part of the holiday is sort of a later addition. It's the day that you finish reading the year-long process of reading the whole Torah, the whole five books of the Torah, and you start over again at the beginning. So the Torah ends, and then you restart it. And um, the traditional thing is also is once you finish, you dance around with the Torah, and you take out all the synagogues, like get out all the Torahs, you're like passing around these Torahs, letting everybody have a turn dancing with the Torah. Some people go out in the streets. There's like often like a lot of drinking um, and revelry and singing. and um, It just gets wild, you know? So on the second day of the eighth day of the second holiday, yes. mm-hmm. people dance in the streets. That's right. And then there's a prayer that happens... Only on this holiday, once a year, that is, it, it, you inaugurate the period of the year where you're praying expressly for rain. And it lines up with like when the rainy season is supposed to be in um, the land of Israel. And uh, you, for, for the next six months, there'll be this prayer for rain as part of daily prayers. Um, but there's like an, an inaugural, we're starting to say the rain prayer today. And there's a sort of fascinating prayer about that. So that's the rundown, basically. That's great. Um, I mean, I think that what's for for a tradition that has accreted so much information and interpretation around almost every single possible, not only holiday, but verse, not only verse, but word, not only word, but letter. Yeah. To have this holiday that is so confusingly devoid of content actually feels like a huge statement, Um, which brings us to our first question. Yeah. Why is there a holiday about nothing? I love it. I love the question. It's a funny thing. This is not a holiday devoid of content. You know, there's a ton of stuff. I overstated. But like, yeah. But it is, it has a blankness to its identity. It has like, well, there's lots of sort of subcategory kind of things that it's about but like what is its raison d'etre and the answer to that question is pretty unclear uh i mean um, there's the story that you told about this idea of, of if atzeret 
means like a stopping, a lingering. It's like right. we're about to leave God's house. We've been visiting in God's house for all these days. We've eaten, we've talked, we've gone through the old photo books, and we're about to get on the like bus back to Providence. <laughs> but God's like, it's a greyhound. You can change it. Just stay one more day. Stay one more day. Yes. Yeah. There's a very old midrash that is that describes that god just being like just don't leave yet i know all the holidays are over but let's just have one more and you're sort of like well okay what's this holiday gonna be about and god's just like i don't it doesn't whatever you want it to be about just just one more holiday don't go yet and i think that 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 came from you know it used to be about being at the temple for a lot of these holidays and Sukkot was a holiday where everyone was supposed to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and, and be at the temple. And so it was more literal, like don't go home yet. Um, we're just going to have one last stand, one last crazy night. I mean, there's also like, I'm just, you pointed out that the Torah reading for Shemini Yatzeret, I feel like that's worth mentioning in this category of like a holiday about quote unquote nothing. Will you say a little bit about why you're fascinated by it? And Yeah. There's just a, I don't really understand why, why this is the Torah reading for Shemini Yatzeret and Maybe someone listening can email twoqueersfourquestions at gmail.com and let us know if you know more than I do. But it's this Torah reading that's like, starts with some laws about tithing. Then there's laws about the seventh year, the Shemitah year, which by the way, this year, 5782, is a Shemitah year in which all debts are canceled. Okay, then there's discussion of like the poor and treating the poor with uh, respect and kindness and redistributing money. Then there's laws about freeing slaves. Then there's laws about sanctifying firstborn animals. And then at the end of the Torah reading, there's a list of the holidays. But that list of the holidays does not mention the <laughs> uh, the Just the more I learn about Shemini the more it's like about a gap it's like about an absence of um it's just a holiday for a holiday's sake almost but yeah i don't know what to make about that like that list of what that tour reading is about I, the the um the half torah reading makes a little more sense to me it's like it's about when the temple was finished being built back in the days of Solomon. And then Solomon, um, on the eighth day, says everybody can go home after this big party has been held. Um, so there's kind of, it's very joyful and there's, uh, and there's the theme of being released so yeah in the in the torah reading there's slaves are being freed debts are being canceled 
um, it's like, yeah, and, and also this temple, this project, this construction project, which involved labor of um, hundreds and hundreds of citizens is like finally done and they can all be finished with that work. It seems a parallel, like we've all been going to synagogue. We've, all been, <laughs> we've been doing these holidays for so long and um, it's a kind of, this is the last one. We're sort of relieved that we can finally stop yeah. uh, having all these holidays to, to deal with. Or, I mean, it's depending on how, I, I, I know that this time of like high holidays, it, by the end of it, I'm a little bit exhausted. I mean, it's, it is, I, I feel like I know experientially from, I mean, we are currently in the midst of that time and I feel experientially, I just came back from this whole sojourn in the East coast for the summer and, um, and it was kind of a beautiful, yeah. a beautiful time. We saw each other. Home. Yeah. And I'm home and I had to, like, there was arriving in my apartment and seeing what was what after the person who stayed here this summer. And, um, and I was walking around my neighborhood and I was tired and sort of a little delirious and walking around the parks that I love. And it was very emotional. There was some strange, like, Oh, this is what I'm coming back to that. I've been, I've been so excited to be home I've been so excited for these holidays to be over and to get into my life, but also like it really takes some work to get back into your life. It takes a moment. You have to go to the grocery store. You have to, you know, whatever else you do. There's a lot to do. I get, what is there to do? I don't know. I mean, and I was just having all these memories of the last time I was here and, and feeling a little overwhelmed by that, both good and bad and feeling how distant I am from, my last time here. I don't know. It's not about this. This holiday is not about Agnes returning to Los Angeles, but I feel like there's something about coming back from a long sojourn. That was like a place of deep relationship and coming back. Yeah. Yeah. This special holy time is ending and we're going back into like regular time, but the next month um, on the calendar has no holidays. It's yeah. Uh, there's actually like nothing at all. It's the one month Cheshvan that has has zero, not even a sort of like a minor fast or a little something. There's nothing. It's just ordinary life. And uh, yeah, I think maybe that this holiday is sort of a preparation for that. Um, I mean, I had the thought a couple of years ago that in the same way that Elul is a month of preparation for Tishrei, which has all these momentous holidays and reckonings, Tishrei is kind of a preparation for Cheshvan, which <laughs> has just regular life. Because, I mean, we've kind of become new people. Uh, we've done all this repenting. We've done all this celebrating. We're like in touch with, we're supposed to be sort of like, we've gotten back in touch with God and with our community 
and uh, we've had all these special elevated moments and now we're going back to the not elevated moments and like that always seems to be a thing that like Judaism at large um, wants to look after the non-holy moment the non-holy places uh, we Yeah, we, we the the project of Judaism is really not these, not primarily these moments of ecstasy, but it's like sanctifying your ordinary life. You have a um, mezuzah on the doorpost of your of your home, not not just on the temple or something. You know, uh, it's sort of anathema to the whole. Jewish tradition, going back to the Bible and the prophets, that you might like have a religious service where you're like, I am so devoted to God, I feel so much ecstatic spirituality, and then leave and then like go cheat somebody in the marketplace to, to like to like relegate your devotion to just the religious space is like explicitly called out and uh it disgusts the rabbis it disgusts the prophets in the bible they're like your ritual doesn't mean shit if you aren't a good person every day if you're not concerned about justice every day so like we're preparing for the every day the 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 mood, the special time has passed, and like now, that's sort of where like the rubber hits meets the road, you know. I mean, it comes back to your description of the Torah portion that all these, the the substance of that is about all these things that are a part of everyday life, like tithing, like mm. debt, like the care of the poor, the working, like the birth of animals. But it's so it is like a. A sort of a tapestry of everyday business life but these are all practices that i think do as you say bring sanctity into those into those activities like to tithe your income is to sanctify this process of resources moving through a community and to have a shemitah mm -hmm. year is this is a way of sanctifying and 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 transforming how we think about debt um that it's it's a it's a Torah portion about business as usual, but it's also about the practices that sort of subvert our sense of those of that business as the governing order of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe we can turn to our next question, but I I kind of want to insert and run, read into the record a little bit of this Muriel Ruckheiser poem before we do that, if that's mm -hmm. okay. Um, Muriel Ruckheiser was this poet who was writing from the 30s to the 70s who was sort of forgotten and then rediscovered in the 80s and has maybe been forgotten again but she has this poem called Akiba and I think she thought that she said that her family was apparently descended from Rabbi Akiba's family she was a radical and a poet uh, and a modernist literary figure and I really love this poem and it says something to me about Shvini Atzeret and this idea of a holiday about nothing 
Here's the middle section of it. Into that journey where all things speak to all things, refusing to accept the curse and taking for signs the signs of all things, the world, the body, which is part of the soul and speaks to the world, all creation being created in one image, creation. This is not the past walking into the future. The walk is painful into the present, the dance not visible as dance until much later. These dancers are discoverers of God. We knew we had all crossed over when we heard the song. Um, I love that idea that we yeah. didn't know that the dance was happening until it had already happened. You know, it sometimes it takes a little bit of distance for us to look back and see like, oh, that was the moment when I changed. Um, and I wonder if Shwini Atzeret is like a little bit of a holding of a blank space for us to say like, in the middle of Cheshvan, you're going to look up from your um, goats and you're going to think, oh, that eighth day of the seven day holiday, like that was the moment when I felt everything shift. That was the thing when I felt like I brought sanctity into, into my daily life. Um, yeah. It's that, that thing yeah. I, that this is not the past walking into the future. We're not, there is the, there's the moment of the present when the past becomes the future. There's that moment. That's the pivot, which is a point with no dimension, but is the only point in when, in which we exist. Um, Yes, it, it, this it maps onto other peak experiences and the question that follows the peak experience. It's exciting. Maybe we've had like a coming out as queer and it's this major rebellion and it's urgent and it's intense. But like, how are you gonna carry yourself once the drama has cooled and um i mean the process keeps going but like i guess i mean i'm reckoning with with queer maturity you know and queer future um because if you stay alive which i hope we all do then you have a future to to carry yourself through it's not all um, throwing off the shackles. I mean, maybe you have to continue to throw off the shackles every day, but um, yeah. So it's maybe this this holiday, yeah, marks that embarking um, into a matured changed way of being that follows like the big hubbub a bridge question two what is question two what happens at the end of the torah what does happen at the end of the torah yeah well we're asking this question because yeah like like I said, this is where we finish the yearly cycle of reading the Torah and start it again immediately um, in the same service. And what happens at the end of the Torah is surprising, surprisingly, well, like Shemini Atzeret, it's like this ambiguous 
blank spot in a way. Um, yeah, as you pointed out in our Sukkot episode, we don't. There's no arriving at the promised land in Tanakh. Yes, and plot-wise, okay, what what happens at the end of the Torah is Moses has been speaking for pretty much the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy. Is is Moses talking to the nation in this farewell? address and they are on the edge of the promised land they're not there yet they still have to cross the jordan to get in and moses has already been told you're not gonna live to enter the promised land why that is is a complicated question of its own but he's gonna die now right when he's about to be able to see the fruit of his life mission, like bringing this nation into its own place where it can have its own society, you know, its own non-Egypt, self-determination. And he dies, and he dies at the end of the Torah, and that's the last thing that happens. Um, And then immediately the world is created. And it's the first chapter of Genesis. I mean, I just want to, I just want to pause and acknowledge what an incredible moment that is to go from the death of Moses, the cusp of this arrival in the promised land, the accumulation of all this history to the creation of the world. It's like, that's, I think of this thing Alexis DeVoe says that every poem begins with a final word that, Creation is not actually possible until the people have gone through the desert and left Egypt and Moses has died. That's when creation can begin and when God can separate, create order within the, the, the welter and the waste. It's such a choice. It's such a intense choice to have to stop and restart at that point because there are more books. There's a lot more books in, in our holy texts. And the next book after Deuteronomy is the book of Joshua and they cross the river and they have this big conquering of the promised land and lots of bloodshed and kind of start dealing with the difficulties of actual life as a nation who lives somewhere. But the Torah stops before that consummation of the longing. It's really like, it's like edging every year, you know? Like, you want this? You want this? You want to get in there? You want to get in that promised land? And then it just doesn't happen. You start over again. Um, the pleasure, the pain. There's this thing that this is a script from Michael Walzer, where he points out that, um, unlike a lot of other ancient epics, which begin with a hero leaving home, going on these adventures, and then coming back home, they move in a circle. Like you, you go out, you are changed, and then you return to the place you began. The Torah is, or the 
the five books of Moses are quite unusual in that they don't, they aren't about returning home. They're about going out to a new place. I mean, early on, Abraham leaves the place he's known and goes somewhere else. But then even the people of um, the children of Israel go, there's, there's this journey to some next place. Um, so even as there is this sense of a cycle that like creation begins after the death of Moses, there's a, yeah, there's well, like a cyclical sense, but it also is like, we're going somewhere. It's not a, it's not a circle. History doesn't just repeat yeah. itself endlessly. It, it actually things are some, some fundamental shift has happened. There's some redemption, re- maybe redemption is the word that's sort of like, I mean, I think of redemption as kind of like an empty word in that, like, I don't, I don't actually know what redemption means, but it's the word that holds what I mean when I talk about a profound transformation that is made possible by God's intervention in history. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. I know what Walzer is talking about, I guess, but there is a psych, there is a return to the, to to home but the return isn't really a return because it's a it's intergenerational yeah you had, they had an ancestor that um came from this place but these people have never been there yeah and it's not um it is a bold for foray into an unknown future it also, I think it has to do, the edging has to do with, like, um, non-completion. Like, I, I think that Judaism likes things to not be finished, to be left open, and... Um, yeah, the circle not closed. Um, because it sort of leaves a space for the imagination to wander. You're sort of left wondering what would it be like for the for the mission to ever be completed? And it maps onto messianic longing like this world is not finished. It's not like later, sometime in the mythic future, the world might be perfected, but we know it's not how it's supposed to be now. Um, and leaving that open, like actually, it yeah, it, it allows for critique. It, and like, um there are other spiritual traditions there are other spiritual impulses that want to say and including in Judaism in some ways like that want to say like this world is just so perfect this we everything we get from God is so wonderful we're so thankful we couldn't ask for more dayenu um we wouldn't ask for more, but that's not, that's, that's not the main thrust. I think of the Jewish tradition. It is like, we want this to change. Everything is kind of not right. And 
still needs work. Also, there's a little further to go, and we never are there. That's what I hear at the end of the of the five books of Moses. Question three is: Have you ever seen the rain? Or maybe I say it: Have you ever seen the rain? Or have you ever seen the rain? Have you ever seen the rain? An alternate version of this question is, what's rain got to do with it? What's the deal with rain? This is... Question three, we're sort of reaching our own meta Shmini Sarah. The question <laughs> that is not a question. <laughs> the question that we didn't quite write. But there's a thing about rain. We want to talk about rain. So you mentioned at the beginning that this is we, this is the moment when we start the line in the Amidah where we say, Mashiv HaRuch Marit HaGashem. We start saying it from Shemini Yetzirah to Pesach is when we say, May the wind and the rain come. Um, and this is the day. This is the day where it starts. So why... It feels like a very, it really shapes the whole half of the year. It feels like a tiny thing, but it's actually quite a notable characteristic of this holiday. Yeah. And I, I feel like you actually, you had something really beautiful to say about what, what prayer is, what it means to pray for rain. So this maps on to like what's supposed to be the rainy season in, in, the Middle East. There's a strong sense in the Bible that like the Jewish people are dependent on rain. I mean, going out of Egypt and toward the promised land, the Bible kind of says like this place is different than Egypt. There's not like a river that waters everything. You have to depend on the rain. If the rain doesn't fall, you don't have water. Um, and this is actually framed as a, a thing that makes the promised land so much better. That like your dependence is more obvious. And uh, um, praying for rain is is both an acknowledgement of extreme dependence. I mean, we, whether we're near rivers or not, if it stops raining, we're all fucked, you know? Um, we need the rain to fall from the sky to survive. And I personally like being reminded of that. I... So I think that prayer is partly about dependence on God. It's also got some boldness to it. Like, we can ask for rain. We can say what we want. But it's like as if we think we could possibly control the weather. Which I don't, I don't think that's the idea of praying for rain. It's about saying what we need 
and saying to God what we need and saying to ourselves, noticing we need rain to live. Um, we need all kinds of things to live. We are dependent on forces beyond our control. And I noticed that instituting this like statement of, of dependence on God comes at the end of these holidays. Um, and it's kind of like a, a new extra little bit of ritual to shore up the relationship. It's like for a long distance relationship, like we always watch a movie together at the same time over the phone on Sunday night or something like that. Um, for this period of like separation, this period of no holidays for a long time, we have a little extra like thinking about you. you know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really love that. I also think that it's, I feel like there's something nice about this, even though it is rooted in the seasonal change, which happens every year in a somewhat regular way. I mean, it's changing now with, as our climate is changing, but it's not that we start praying for rain when we start to need it. We, we pray for rain on the day that we decide to start praying for rain, that it's, there is something. I mean, the example I was saying earlier is that like, I don't, there's not like a day of the summer when I, every summer, that's the day I start using my air conditioning. I mean, I'm, I think I'm coming into an anti-air conditioning part of my life and I huh. am maybe going to never try and never use air conditioning again, but nice. there's a moment where you start using it when you need it. You don't just, you don't just pick a day and ritually start using the air conditioner, but there's something about having to pick specific arbitrary moments as markers of change that feels true to the activity of ritualizing our lives that you know even though to bring it back to the queer thing any process of becoming oneself and this is what Sukkot is about is about process is ongoing is never completed it sometimes is nice to have a little day where you acknowledge this is my day when I came out. This is my anniversary. This is the day when something became clear to me about who I was, even though that process began long before and will be continued to be unfold long yeah. after and will not even be finished on the day um, I die. It's you still, there's a value in marking these, putting dates to things. Yeah. And that, that resonates for me. I mean, I, I don't have a coming out moment, you know? Um, for me, it's it's just such a slow and sloppy process and multiple things to come out about and different, not wanting to have some like, hey, everybody, here's my moment. I'm out now. Like, I just told some people certain things and whenever felt right to me. And that's the way I wanted to do it. And I think there's nothing... There's no problem with that. That's that's perfect. That's exactly the way I should have done it. But I still find myself finding these anniversaries. Like I just, I have this moment in the summer of 2011 when I first like dressed femme, 
in public um, on stage at a Chicago street fair music festival. And um, yeah, it to like, what was that moment? It wasn't really, it wasn't the beginning of me being trans. It wasn't even the beginning of me being out as trans because I wasn't at all out as trans after that at all like like there was that process was years of baby steps and stuff and i know it's not that way for everybody but it's important me to me now to have that little anniversary um sort of as i guess it's partly that it marks time in a way um but I think it's also just it's just a joy a statement of joy and affirmation to be like let's put this um, moment on it and I, I like thinking about the prayer for rain in that way like let's Put these bounds on it as a way of like celebrating it and this prayer that happens on Shemina Sarah is like flowery it has this, po this long poem in it that like is all about the different instances of water in uh in the bible basically and all our heroes who like were involved with water and it mentions all the story of um Moses being drawn out of the river and all, all this stu this stuff in this poetic way and reading it you realize it's not just a formal like um, this is the rainy season this is what we're supposed to pray for it's like about relationship it's about loving this relationship where we where we ask God for help we hope rain will fall from the sky and then it does it's a sunday night movie <laughs> um can i maybe before we move on to the next question read a little more poetry into the record about rain please this is this bob bob kaufman poem called the ancient rain um it's very long. It's many pages long, but I'll just read a little tiny bit of it. Um, the ancient rain is falling all over America now. The music of the ancient rain is heard everywhere. The music is purely American, not European. It is the voice of the American Revolution. It shall play forever. The ancient rain is falling in Philadelphia. The bell is tolling. The South cannot hear it. The South hears the Ku Klux Klan until the bell drowns them out. The ancient rain is falling. The ancient rain does what it wants. It does not explain to anyone. The ancient rain fell on Hart Crane. He committed suicide in the Gulf of Mexico. Now the Washington Monument is bathed in the celestial lights of the ancient rain. 
the ancient rain is falling in America and all the nations that gather on the East River to try to prevent a star prophecy of 37 million deaths in World War III. They cannot see the ancient rain but live in it, hoping that it does not want war. They would be the victims. In Asia, the Orient, Europe, and in South America, the ancient rain will cause them to speak the languages they brought with them. The ancient rain did not see them in America when Crispus Attucks was falling before the British guns on the Boston Commons. The ancient rain is falling again from the place where the ancient rain lives, alone. The ancient rain thinks of Crockett and falls in the Santa Ana freeway and it becomes a smog source. The ancient rain wets my face and I am freed from the hatreds of me that disguise themselves with racist bouquets. The ancient rain has moved me to another world where the people stand still and the streets moved me to destination. I look down on the earth and see myself wandering in the ancient rain, ecstatic, aware that the death I feel around me is in the hands of the ancient rain, and those who plan death for me in dreams are known to the ancient rain, silent humming raindrops of the ancient rain. That's long, but I I think it's this incredible incantatory poem, and I feel like rain obviously has such poetic meaning as well as physical material meaning. We're, we're dependent on it. It marks the seasons of the year. It's marking huge changes in our world with climate change and but i love that kaufman brings the rain into this makes it about this deep history that is ever present with us always um whether we know it or not that it's that it's out of our control the ancient rain is sort of like the the force of justice and transformation and i i I think that i love the idea of knowing in some deep way that the rain, which we think about in terms of agriculture and ecology and climate change is also deeply tied up in the work of justice. Um, And Mm -hmm. I guess I just love that poem, but there's something to me that gives me something else when I think about coming into this time of year, praying for rain, that it's, that it's the rain, it's the water that's going to allow me to eat the food that I eat, but it's also this bigger, movement of something through yeah. our world i mean it's universal human need is what it reminds me of and it's just emotional you, like there's an emotion to it being rainy outside and it makes you think of tears and it makes you think of need we that's there's something i can't say it exactly it's just like a universal longing that is like satisfied. It's it, it evokes relationship to me and it evokes relationship with God. Well, I'm, I, I get these surges of great temptation to like explain my idea of God and it's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we really are struggling to make it to Hanukkah, we can have a special sort of like booster episode in which you explain your idea of God. An infinite episode. An infinite episode. Instead, we're going to go to question four, I think. Yes. Yes. Why do we dance? Why do we dance? Does that question even need an answer? Well, maybe it should be sharpened into like, why do we dance with the Torah at the moment of completing slash restarting it. Like on some level, we know why we dance. Why, why do people dance? We dance to move our bodies. It's an expression of joy. It's sort of like 
you, it doesn't need an explanation. You just dance because it's a human thing to dance. At the same time, any act of dancing, the very movements of our bodies when we dance are like expressing subconsciously like ideologies and histories and who we learned this dance from or who we saw dancing that we're kind of imitating, how we hold our bodies, why we hold our bodies that way. Like it, it brings in the whole history of who you are and where you came from and our whole species just when you shake around, you know? And I really like the dancing with the Torah thing because it makes that more explicit. Like we're dancing to express love of our culture and love of this text and like, the stuff that goes beyond the book, like, it's an acknowledgement that, like, the text is not enough. Our bodies need to hold and dance the text. I guess it ties the intellectual content and the verbal content of this book that holds our group, the Jews, together. It ties that content to the joy of having a body and the, the joy of being in a room with other people and just the physical. Yeah, it's not, it brings that, it brings the knowledge of Torah from the realm of something that we know in our minds or even in our hearts and just think we know with our bodies. I, I think there's a whole... I think of the choreographer Deborah Hay and who I feel like I talk about all the time, but there's a whole tradition in dance of thinking about dance as a way of knowing, uh, not just a, not about a performance. It's like a way of investigating and seeing and perceiving and knowing. Uh, and I think, yeah, how do we know Torah and celebrate Torah with our bodies and not just with our minds? Have you ever seen this movie, The Wise Kids? It's a Stephen Cohn movie. It's this little... No, I don't know what The Wise Kids. It's this little quiet movie about a church theater group and uh, a group of high schoolers. And there's one of the kids, is these three, three friends, one of whom is gay. And, uh, and the drama teacher at this church is also, is gay but in the closet and is married and the kid comes back from his first year at college and has this close relationship with the drama teacher and the drama teacher brings him or is about to go to college, brings him a gift. It's this such a strange, beautiful scene where the teacher like goes into this room in this house party with this kid to give him this gift of a camera. And it's just like too big of a gift for a teacher to give a student. And you know, it's because this teacher just like needs, loves this is sort of in love with this kid. And is also in love with this kid's ability to be out uh, when he himself isn't. And I can't describe it in a way that doesn't make it sound weird, but they kiss, the teacher and the student kiss in this scene. And it's, it's just an incredibly rendered moment. And then they, they both stop and realize that this was like a weird thing that they shouldn't have done, but also they're both completely transformed by it. And they leave the room and the teacher is with his wife at the party by the cocktails and the kid is 
in the living room and, and turns up the music and starts dancing. And it's this incredible moment because you know he's just had this private experience that he can barely even name to the teacher, uh, let alone to anybody else, that nobody knows what's going on with him. But he's also moving his body in this incredible way that is so, he's so in his body, he's so full of feeling, um, and everyone's watching him dance. And so it's this weird mixture of this internal moment that is such a huge transformation that we as the audience know is happening within him while we're watching everybody else watch him and not know what that transformation has been. And I think that that's like coming out of this season where we've all had whatever private revelations we've had. We've had these huge shifts happen within us and it spills out of our hearts beyond what our words can say, beyond what we can say to each other. So what do we do? We dance. We just like witness each other dancing and it's just a way of witnessing this, the, the, the excess of feeling and what has happened within us. And it brings, it brings the unspoken and unspeakable into the room. You know, I feel that when I dance, like when I dance really passionately, I don't always dance. When I do, I feel like it often comes with a sort of a raging sea inside me. And it's that feeling where like, yeah, no one knows what's behind this dance, but they can all see me dancing. Like the door opens halfway to my inner world. One time I went to a Chabad Simchat Torah night and I, I went to the service and then after the service, they were like, we're going out into the street now and we're going to dance in the streets and we're going to go all around the neighborhood. We're going to go into bars. We're going to, and, and that's, that's what we did. And I do remember it was like these ultra Orthodox people and, um, I think he was like talking to some of the younger, the, maybe the teenage Hasidic kids in there. The rabbi was like, now you're going to, you're going to like see some things you've never seen before. Maybe, you know, we might be in a bar. You don't know who we'll see. We'll see some people who aren't Jewish. Maybe, maybe some people will like not understand what we're doing. Give us funny looks. Uh, I felt like there was an implication, like you might see a lady's cleavage or something. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to prepare you kids for this. (laughs) And it was so good to like bring this very Jewish, like, like, you know, Jewish in a, in that way that a lot of more assimilated Jews find embarrassing. Like Jews who look like Jews, just going into bars with a Torah, making a bunch of noise, being in the street, just like, Oh, just, singing at the top of our lungs going nuts it was just so out so like not a trace of shame or embarrassment it was just beautiful and you know people watching there was the door was half open you know to why we were doing this it it was like they didn't know that we finished the yearly cycle of reading the Torah, that we finished this cycle of high holidays, that there's all these, this is like all this background to this joy, but they see us just dancing and singing at the top of our lungs, holding our Torah. I couldn't have loved it more. I want to do that. I know. 
Me too. <laughs> it feels like to come back to the mood you were talking about being in earlier about there's something, I think you used the word human mood and you used the word acrid. There's something about dancing. We come to the end of this holy season and we're not fasting and pledging ourselves to a life of spiritual austerity. We're, we're sweating. We're going into mm-hmm. bars and seeing ladies cleavage, which is, is cleavage singular or plural. It just feels like a very human, very sweaty way of sealing something that has happened. It's both vulnerable and unapologetic. We can dance if we want to. We can leave our friends behind. Uh, <laughs> Slowly, this podcast is going to be overtaken by, Lyrics. by pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have a big smile on my face, and... Uh, we're maybe maybe this holiday like ends the high holidays because of its pure joy that's like the feeling this season wants to leave us with and maybe that's the the note we should end on for this episode how will we ever make it to hanukkah agnes I don't know. I think we need to do that booster in which Ezra shares her thoughts on God. But maybe we really have to. Fl- I don't know. I yeah. I, I think you're glad. I'm glad you mentioned two queers for questions at gmail.com earlier because uh, we want to hear who what listens to the end. <laughs> let's let's put a bow on it. All right. All right. Ta for now. Hugs, man.